Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckold dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week, episode number 12 of The Lumber Word. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. i uh, had some great feedback so far. This is a show where we talk about everything lumber. We have guests. We have a great guest today. Uh, but first, I want to do the disclaimer. Everything that we talk about on this show is our own ideas. Greg, how do you like to say this? Don't do what we do. Yeah. Just because we say it doesn't mean you should do it. If we tell you to jump off a cliff, don't do it. <laughs> Real cool. I know I know we're in industry through a lemmings just looking for that next cliff to go off. So that's a it's a good disclaimer, Ash. A really good disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks. Well, hey, look at we're we're gonna jump right into it. We're excited to have Kyle Little, COO of Sherwood Lumber, also a CNBC contributor. You've probably seen him on TV before. Kyle, Greg, and myself go way back. Kyle's been in the industry. Just real quick, Kyle, why don't you give just a brief 411 on, uh, we've got a lot of similar background, we've known each other for a long time, we're excited to have you on. Hey, thanks Ashley, thanks Greg for having me. Um, yeah, been in the industry for quite a long time now, uh, pushing 25 years. Prior to that, growing up in a family owned and operated sawmill and uh, remanufacturing and retail lumberyard. So like sawdust really kind of runs through the veins and you know, the apple doesn't fall so far from the tree or the limb doesn't fall right now so far from, from that tree. Stayed in the in the lumber business, just a great uh, industry. Um, had an opportunity of doing a lot of different things, from a buy group to brokerage wholesale to now working with a, a wholesale distribution company. I've been here at Sherwood Lumber for just under fifteen years. What? Yeah, seems like a long time, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, fifteen Pretty years. Fifteen oh, years. Yeah, two thousand nine. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, really, uh, really excited to continue to uh, help our organization transition into its third generation, continue to navigate this this uh, wonderful lumber uh, and building materials world that we operate in uh, every single day. It's uh, something to learn all the time. So Kyle, I'm sitting in my office yesterday and I hear Greg, we're all excited. We're like, hey, we got Kyle on tomorrow. It's going to be cool. And Greg, what'd you mention about seeing Kyle and his family on the beach? Oh yeah. Well, I was talking <laughs> to somebody and then, and, you know, well, like we're on the beach in Hawaii, and then like I'm walking down the beach, and there's there's Kyla's family. I'm like going, God, what a great business to be in. <laughs> That's awesome. That's but awesome. I said <laughs> my 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 oldest son talks to the, about that to this day because I go over and I hug this guy, and he's like, Dad, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That was so probably God, out of context. Want to know those, like I want to know how your golf game is. I mean, you know, I don't care about what you think about lumber. What's your golf game like right now? Uh, I got my handicap's the best it's been in probably the last two or three years. My index is is just. Uh, just uh, I think two point three right now. But I'll tell you, like all the guys I play with, I get smoked. I mean, some of these guys are just plus handicaps, and they bomb it by you twenty, thirty yards all the time. It's crazy. The golfers out there today are just yeah. really talented. Yeah. Well, welcome to my world. I'm usually like forty, fifty yards behind the guys, and and you know, I'm hitting a hybrid, and they're hitting a they're hitting a wedge into the green. I'm like, ah, you know, can't compete. Yep. With that. Yeah. yeah, but I. I I feel now, similar to that. Too, doesn't he? 
He does. He just uh, he just uh, played in his conference championship and he qualified for the Suffolk County tournament, which is uh, in a couple weeks. So he's very excited about that. He's a senior this year in high school and trying to finalize his college search and make his decision to go go to the next level. Not 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 to play golf, though, to, you know, we we joke about my wife and I is that we're raising mathletes, not athletes. <laughs> I, I mean, but the, that's the hardest sport to watch one of your kids play is golf. Because yes. you just hang on every every shot, you know something goes off, and you just I'd I'd much rather watch play play basketball or hockey or anything because it's like it's moving so fast you're already past it, right? Yeah, and in golf, you know, golf in high school it's not match play, it's stroke play, so yep. it's like, and they're not there. There's no gimmies in, in that that no. game, so it's tough. No, got to got to put everything out, man. Yeah. So Kyle, Greg just got back. He was over in France for a week. So uh, wow. glad nice. glad you're back, Bonjour. Greg. How was that? That <laughs> are you speaking Montreal French or are you speaking French French? We oui. <laughs> sorry to all the people in Montreal. I, I, they try to explain there's a difference between some of it. Um, so I guess the question is, housing starts and permits came out this week, and what we'd like to talk about in this episode, and what we do talk about. We really are just trying to figure out where this thing's going, right? And and this is a good Greg, you always put it real well. We kind of do it because it's a good way to bounce ideas off each other and and talk about the things that we don't know we don't know, so to speak. After getting back into it again, Kyle, after being out of it, my God, there's still a lot of things I don't know, I don't know. So the one thing I looked at on the housing starts report that I thought was really interesting. And Greg, this is your idea. He's like, hey, but, look but, at this. Actually, you went like this. You went like this. <laughs> if you're just listening on a podcast, that's the axe chop with the hand. Um, <laughs> the home's under construction right now, right? So when I look at it, if I'm trying to pull out a chunk of gold or something to hang on to, I'm looking at completions, even non-seasonally adjusted completions, 1.694. I mean, that's pretty good, right? I mean, that gives us, this is just on new construction. That gives us some still continued pull through in the pipeline. Am I, am I reading that right, guys? Absolutely. I think there's a tremendous amount of uh, job things to be completed and, and swans that just got underway really in the last three to six months. So in many cases, the, the what I'm seeing in the field it's not doom and gloom. There's there's enough to keep people busy. While it's not up to what it was two years ago at the peak in 2021, but it's still historically speaking pretty solid. Like the smaller builder seems to have an okay order file. Maybe not as good as it was like we just previously saw, but it, it's it's okay. You know, one of the things that I've been trying to do over the last like um, two quarters because it is a little bit more challenging out there, and, and we don't. It's not like the hectic nature that we have to try to travel and see what's going on in the marketplace. And it really depends where you are around the country. But generally speaking, uh, the takeaway and the amount of business uh, that the builders have uh, and the retailers therefore have is is okay. It's not like great, but it's okay. And I think that's the numbers reflect that in the housing start numbers today. Like if you look at them where they are today, over the majority of our career, we would say this is pretty decent business, but we just came off a 1.6, 1.7, right? And now we're at, trending below 1.4. So it kind of like is uh, a little bit of more uh, 
tighter than what we've experienced. Yeah, so one thing when I looked at those the completion numbers that you know I brought that highlighted for me is if I look at single family from a year ago, under construction is down 15, 14.8%, uh, and multifamily is up 10.9% from a year ago. That tells me two things. Is one is builder cycle times have increased, which you know, combination of factors of labor, materials, shortages no longer. So they're able to um, to build quicker. The surge in multifamily, and to, to Kyle's point, you can't tell you, you know, the number of jobs that are, you know, what, and then it's disproportionate that they're follow-up purchases, not new jobs starting right now. And I guess if I'm going to, I'm going to do one thing in the next, you know, few weeks is really get my finger on what's the, what does it look like for jobs that are going to start in December or Q1? What does Q1, what does Q1 multifamily look like? I'm going to need to dig into that. And, you know, any of our listeners ping me, let me know what you think. I would just add to that, Greg, like we saw in the middle of this year, virtually no interest in forward price or job activity to lock in, you know, for the first quarter of next year. It really wasn't up until maybe like 60 days ago, maybe 45 days ago that we started to see those inquiries resurface and not all of them have been committed, but at least we're starting to see that there are some jobs out there that possibly could be committed here in, in the very near future. So, but I, I would say it wasn't until maybe August of this year that I, we were able to lock up our first 2024 project, which was to yeah. me like, like it was very, like it was concerning. I was like, what's going on? But now it starts to feel like it's getting a little bit better. Big challenges that I see on multifamily right now is trying to take guys what would want to want to be so close to today's market for Q1. And, and as you know, the numbers do not work for that. But Greg, I thought forward pricing you could discount in the future. That's what we've always heard. <laughs> <laughs> there are times when you can discount in the future. This This is a time... Q1, there is a, a pretty substantial, depending on the item, some are more than others, but Q1 pricing is a, is a good premium to today's yeah. cash price, that's for sure. T tell me how discounting undervalued items works and uh, uh, let me know how well you are <laughs> doing that. Sounds like that's a good way to go broke. Yes. <laughs> uh, so just a quick question to follow up on the um, house, homes under construction, multifamily versus single family. So we know entry-level homes are getting are smaller in uh, under construction. We know multifamily is doing a little bit better. Is there less lumber being used right now, do you think, as far as the the takeaway versus those starts from those same numbers last year? I mean, obviously, we're using less, less lumber in a house now, right? Help me frame this question correctly. Yeah, what you're trying to say is, hey, single-family houses are smaller, ergo, how much less lumber are we using? And, the, and then the, in the rest of the algebra equation is how much smaller are those houses on average? That's mm -hmm. what you need. But I mean, yeah. yeah. So where's the demand going to come from is what I'm saying. That's the real question. As we, as we look today, you know, as an outlook to, to Kyle's, you know, to Kyle's point, hey, housing starts, we're... We're gonna do, a, you know, we're gonna do like a million three fifty, a million three sixty this year, down like you know twelve, twelve and a half percent from last year. What's twenty twenty four housing starts gonna be? Are they gonna be, you know, are they gonna be up? 
they going to be flat? They can be down. How much are they going to? Yeah. So I was just, I just was on a uh, webinar before this where uh, Robert Dietz was speaking. He was just speaking to some investors from Benchmark. Their forecast, single family, they see that kind of bottoming out between 850 to low 900s here over the next quarter or two. And then by the end of 2024, they see that moving back into over a million to a million one in the single family side. So basically they're saying by the end of 2024, their forecast is plus 4% on single family construction. But but they saw it going, they saw it to 800, 900 right, though. Right, here, bottoming out okay. here over the next, in the, in the near term. You know, I, I find, okay. you know, that's crazy. Like, in, you know, in the last 12 months, we built one month, one month we built a million, all the rest of them were in, you know, the nines to, you know, mid-low, mid-low eights. So, you know, it's, then he then he said in twenty five their forecast right now is an eight percent increase from that above that four percent increase in the year prior. So is it, it was a, interesting. Yeah, that's a single family. And then what do they do? It's, it's a single family number. His right. his his multifamily number is is much more conservative, like because of you know where where we are in the one the rental affordability yeah. and the, the the current. We just saw eight percent eight percent thirty year fixed yesterday. So. I think this will segue new homes versus existing home prices. Greg, I still got to pull that chart up for you, but that's yeah. obviously you do. You owe me that your you point. That. Yeah, I do owe you that chart that the new homes obviously are the best deal out there right now. Right. One, because there's not many existing homes, but two, the incentives and the availability of, of that coming on the market seems to be the, the real. If the real we are value. in fact in a higher for longer interest rate environment, there's not going to be existing homes are not going to come onto the market in any big quantities unless there's major job loss. Right. So I mean, you look at existing right. home sales. I mean, they came out today, a 13-year low. Right. I mean, we're going to have for the year the number of sales is going to be the lowest I think since 2006 or seven. Right. And to mm -hmm. Kyle's point, that's not going to change. You know, unless I mean, you would need. Mortgage rates probably to drop back into. I, I think. I think the sweet. Five yeah, to six. I, I think the sweet spot is somewhere in the five to six range is where mortgage rates need to be to to free that market back up. We don't have a chance of seeing that in, unless, to Kyle's point, you have a major, you know, significant recession in the first half of next year. Right. Like the the only way you free up housing supply is the foreclosure market goes up. The per person that has a job today and that's paying their mortgage regularly, that the majority, which we have like 60% are under 5%, right? Uh, fixed rate. Mm -hmm. And yep. there's a lot, there's a, a huge percentage below below 4%. So if, to get them to go and say, okay, I'm going to come back in the market and look for something else, it has to get, that that gap has to, um, to narrow. But in most cases, it's unfortunately going to happen only in a, in a, I should say, in a very quick fashion, is if there's something that changes drastically to the downside in our economy that forces people to into foreclosure. That's where supply goes up on existing homes. Yeah, but you know, the one challenge for a big change in that, Kyle, is that the loan to value right now is at an all-time record low, i.e. people have the most equity in their homes that they've ever had. Mm -hmm. combination of 
they've got a low mortgage rate and the prices have kept going up every month they make a payment blah 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 you know and that so contrasts the issue that we had in 0809 i totally agree with you because i don't necessarily believe that we're going to have massive job loss across the country based off the way that things are going so that so it goes back to my point is like i think the existing home market continues to be in very very tight supply for the next 2 to 3 years until interest rates come back down to a level that is more palatable to entice people to upgrade or do whatever. So Kyle, there's a good question. And you, you really, you probably have your finger on the pulse of this a little bit better. Uh, and it uses more lumber than single family or anything. Repair and remodel. Is that the real outlier that we need to look at? I, you know, look at, I'm putting a deck on the back of my house because That's I'm not be a really big soon. deck. So I don't <laughs> think the industry generally recognizes this. We, we fixate things on housing starts. But the majority yes. of lumber consumed in North America is in repair and remodel. Absolutely. And um, that's one area that a lot of people see substantial growth because let's just face it, like look at the demographics, look at the supply of houses in the United States, they're aged, right? Particularly where I live in the Northeast. There's not a lot of new home starts where I live in New York or even in Pennsylvania where I used to live. Um, it's mostly comes back of, of existing homes being remodeled into something. And so as those existing homes actually come to market and start to re to turn over and resell the repair and remodel demand heats up that inter, it is interest rate sensitive to that standpoint because the major the majority sure. of your repair and remodel tends to happen within i think two to three years of the purchase of that home so that's when you're starting to get, start to see some of that but i'll share this i was at fast markets Recy conference uh, a couple of weeks ago i was on a panel you spoke. You yeah, spoke I was at on that, a right? panel there. And yeah, cool. Did they, One of the... dis- did they give you a discount on the registration when you speak at it? I just. I'm, I'm asking talking... for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. Not. I, I was trying to get a discount on my subscription, not on the registration of the event. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been. That would have been really. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hot topic. One of my fellow one of my fellow panelists uh, was uh, leveraging that as well. Um, <laughs> One of the things that we were, they were talking about was re- repair and remodel demand, which basically has gone stagnant, if not into negative territory the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. In 2024, they see that demand increasing by 3.1% and in 2005 to 5.6%. Roughly that equates to just under 40% of the lumber consumed in the United States in any given one year. So how much? How much? For just under forty percent. It's like thir- wow. It's like it's wow. like thirty-five and change, and then it's starting to grind up to forty now. One of the things that they mention is that their forecast, while these numbers seem relatively positive, our forecast is just really assessing that we're moving back to long-term trend. Long-term mm-hmm. trend has typically been two point seven to like three point two increases year over year over year over year. Yeah. So now, and the the catch-up year they're saying is two thousand twenty-five, which they're forecasting interest rates to be a little bit lower by then and therefore the the catch up that we lost in 2022 and 23 just a follow up on that is i was just to say you know like the average age of the housing stock of owner occupied homes is 40 years but in new york it's 57 years Real, yeah is it really 57 yeah, 57 years 57 wow. years old yeah massachusetts is 51 mm-hmm. so ash this this was another set i was just looking up that kind of goes back to one of your questions. We have smaller homes, we have things that are being built, but what does that really mean for actual lumber being used? Their forecast is saying with the numbers that they're predicting, overall demand in board feet 
in 2024, they're going to see an increase in 3.7 billion board feet and another 3.8 billion board feet in lumber demand by 2025. Uh, what do they show the final numbers in 23 are going to be down from 22? 600 million feet, like so 0.6 we're billion. Going to 600 million less this year than we did in 22. Correct. But 3.7. I mean, you know, I used to think I was an optimistic person, but I'm thinking that they're more optimistic than I am. It's, I mean, it was very, uh, it was much more like typically economists are not, they're super, super conservative. This to me felt like a lot, very, very uh, uh, positive. I, it, it's, I mean, great data. Thank you so much, Kyle. And I just, you know, like, I'm going, that is I'm good going data. like, okay, so what am I, what am I missing on that is if we got 8% mortgages, so single family next year is that, you know, I'm going to say is that they're going to, they're going to struggle to maintain this pace of single family. And that's going to be, they're going to keep trying to, you know, value engineer, they're going to buy down mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that. Multifamily has you know, been very strong. Is that going to provide the growth? Okay. I, I buy into repair remodeling being, you know, 3.7% more, but talking it does it's just hard for me to it's hard for me to wrap my head around hey we're going to use 3.7 billion board feet more next year than we did this year given the environment that we're in currently like right now it does feel eerily similar to the going into the fourth quarter last year right like last yeah. year it was very it was terrible like i felt from a volume perspective you know like if it, it felt like the volume that we were selling in the middle of the year well, I mean, we saw in the numbers, it was like 30, 40, 50% difference in the months of November and wow. December, particularly. And January started the year off the same in 2022 or 23. The great thing about it, though, was there was like $100 a thousand basis to January, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, well, let, like some of us, let some of us load, let some of us <laughs> load the boat on some stuff with a, with a very, with a, in a very good, in a very managed risk profile. Yeah. I mean, there's there's items which there's good basis today going into next year. Let's face it. Like if you look at just the studs as, a, as, a, as a segment. Yeah. Two by six. Right. It just costs a little bit more money to, to maintain that basis on the ground. Right, now. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, let's bring let's bring this into what's going to happen now and in the next 30, 60 days through the end of the year. Right. OK, so I have a sense out there. I've seen a lot of people saying, hey. Let's, let's talk on the future side first. They're like, hey, all these short funds are rolling, right? So to me, I don't really read much into that, except that when I look at November and I talk to Greg about it, I'm like, is that a better sell opportunity than it is a buy opportunity? You know, it's, it, I'm getting this feeling that we are going lower before we go higher in here. Just as a feeling... Greg always says, historically, I think in Spruce, we make the low in the third week in October. October the third, third week so in October, now, third week in October to first it, week in December. In that it, so now we're fighting a seasonal like that and a lack of, I should say, uh, optimism in the market. Uh, with all this consolidation, as we can tell, there's certainly a lot more large vendors or large, excuse me, large buyers keeping less wood on the ground. We could tell this week because you take an order yesterday, they call you tomorrow and ask you where it's at, even though you sold it for two weeks mm -hmm. or sooner. 
we just sense that there's less wood being kept on the ground. It's more expensive to do it. It's the time of the year where people keep less on the ground. Are we going in? Let's just talk and we'll, we'll fold into curtailments. I'm getting all these things. People are saying mills after curtail, mills after curtail. I mean, I have, I feel it for mills right now. I haven't seen any substantial curtailments. If they come, they come, who knows? I don't think they're going to be real meaningful into the end of the year. Even if there are some announcements, the feeling is that we could be going lower on most items right now. Greg, Kyle, what's your feeling on that? You want me to go first? <laughs> so, um, I think the industry today is more prepared for the market to go lower than go higher. So the majority is saying that this market can go lower and I'm prepared for it. They're not prepared for it to go higher. So typically markets move in the directions of most pain. The most pain is not necessarily lower today. It could go lower. And I think it will go lower if demand goes lower. But supply is pretty flat. It's, I, I would say today's market is probably more in equilibrium than we've ever seen in our history. Like we are grinding kind of lower, but the mills, the producers seem to get one to two days of decent activity every week to take care of their problem surplus. And then they just go trade back and forth for the balance of the week. And that's been like that pattern for like the last like four or five months. Uh, yes, and it's kind of ground lower, but it's back to what we're where we've had, you know, long-term support at least over the last few years. Yeah, we can definitely go lower, but I think the question is when are we going higher? And as at people ultimately prepared for that, because the volatility that we have today is virtually non-existent. It will be like that, but it, it, that will change. I'm not sure there's a lot of people really uh, putting any any long-term plans to get to in place to make sure that their risk is off the table. Yeah, I love that. I love that you quoted. I mean, market does what causes the most people the most amount of pain and suffering. And you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I've kind of been in this place going, well, yeah. In order for the market to have a substantial rally, it probably needs to go lower. And I'm talking spruce right now. If you, if, you know, you're. If I'm talking pine six and eight inch, if you're a pine six and eight inch buyer, you know what? You should have whatever whatever you can physically carry in your yard for you know 60 90 i mean there's your downside risk is is really minimal but if you're talking if if you're talking spruce i'm actually in this viewpoint that sharply sideways is what causes the most pain and suffering because you can see there's a whole group of traders out there that are kind of chopping themselves up if they get if they get aggressive selling they chop themselves up you can't spec buy. Been, uh, I mean, as you know, it's been a, it's been a really, I'm not gonna say great, but it's been a good market for distributors. Those of us that carry inventory, yeah. you know, can provide the heavy mixes, can can sell trucks for two weeks or sooner, and then when guys say, "Can where where is it?" You go, "Yeah, it's loaded today." Right? I mean, you know, we're in the distribution business, so we trade heavy to the long side. So I'm always gonna have this long, long bias in the sense that there's value at some point, but you know, we've been able to, in any in this marketplace, the value of having inventory has been profound because people want to buy more regularly on smaller quantities. And so that's fit into the business model that we, that we, we supply. At some point, they're not going to be able to buy everything they want that way. And when is that? That's the, you know, the, the $64,000 question. Nobody, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. My, feeling kind of going into this quarter and into next year is 
I've always said, oh, we need the Fed to tell us that the interest rates are going to stop. But then I really started to think about it. So we don't necessarily need that. Our lumber doesn't necessarily need that to make a move higher. What really needs to happen is that the demand starts to show up in small incremental um, changes to the positive side, meaning that the builder says, okay, well, my forecasted sales for the spring or what have you are starting to look like this. Maybe I want to go and speculate on a small percentage higher. And it only takes one or two extra homes being built, one or two extra truckloads being built to change the sentiment in a marketplace to make things go higher. And lumber is always the first thing to go up and the first thing to go down. We saw it in the beginning of the pandemic, the end of the pandemic, and we're 17 months now of what I would call where the, the two, two major data points would tell us of that we're in this, this bear cycle. And typically bear cycles are 15 to 18 months, generally speaking, uh, unless you go into a really, really deep recession, which doesn't, it seems like we could, there's that possibility, but it seems like we're not. We're closer to the end of this, this bear cycle. And at some point in 24, I believe we're, we're talking a different story. Kyle, it's, it, you, you hit a good point. You know, you're getting paid to be a distributor yeah. right now. There was years, there were years, if you remember, where you had to sell at a discount to carload pricing to get trucks and beg for it, right? And now you're getting carload plus plus still. Like Greg and I, every Saturday, if we're in here or whatever, we're like, wow, that was a good week last week. We didn't expect that. And we did this over and over and over again. So, I mean, Maybe I'm just waiting for another shoe to drop, but things just continue to kind of like plot along with decent volume yeah. so far. Greg, does that, does that sound right? Yep. And if I say, does that sound right again? My wife's going to kill me because she says that sounds terrible <laughs> when I say that. Um, <laughs> stop saying that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, the, the point, the point at this point is that seasonally we're moving from negative to a positive standpoint. Price-wise, we're you know we're in the bottom ten percentile of price range, so the net's pretty close. But we could be in for a period of sustained sideways action that just kind of bleeds you. You know, I means the the cost of carry it's going to bleed people out. But to Kyle's point, until we hit that tipping point, when will it be? Will be will this be the year where you know, the market doesn't really go anywhere until, you know, late February, March, and then we have a monster rally into Q2, right? Or will this be a more traditional year where you get a decent rally somewhere between now and now and our Thanksgiving, you get then, then you've kind of flatlined to the end of the year, and then you have a move in, you know, January into, into March, building season, very historical seasonal trade, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of the question that I keep asking. Which kind of yeah. year is it going to be? Yeah, that's a good a good question. So if you're if you're we are talking to buyers out there, you know, Greg, you you know, what do we like and what don't we like in the market? And I shouldn't say what we don't like. So it's not that I don't like two by four sixteens, but man, that trades that trade has just run and run. I mean, that fish took out line for a long time, and it continues to take out line. So I still consider that now, if I, I guess if I looked at a chart, it probably is fairly to a little bit overvalued, but from where it came from, I'm going to say it's overvalued. I don't like two by four sixteens at much. I love two by, in spruce, I love two by six sixteens. I'm going to keep saying it, but they just can't get off of the mat. 
those, so those are the things I'd like and don't like. What about both of you? What are you thinking as far as items go? I, I, I can tell you two by six sixteens remind me of 2015. I was very heavy in them in the fourth quarter and the trade didn't come together until like the second quarter of the following year. But it worked out amazing like when it happened, but it took a long yeah. time on two by six sixteens as a as a just a rule of thumb. I think studs studs are the items to look at. Not eight foot studs, but nine foot studs probably are things that people should consider looking at. I'm going to go on with something, you know, you, we talked about this, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks ago for like week on week things, things that we hated two by six, nines and tens. I'm going to tell you now, those are things you need to start really starting to serious look at. Those have come all the way back in, particularly on, on two by six nines, which we know is a big multifamily item. It doesn't take too many jobs. As we know, now the mills are going, well, we don't need to make a whole lot of that because it's been hard to sell. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I'd say two by six nines or something in full transparency. I have been buying. I started too early. I just want to let you know, you know, because if you're not early, you're late. <laughs> um, they're, they're a good value in multiple species, Greg, too. Like in Doug fur, hemp oh. fur, this two by six nines are a very good item to look at. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other side, I mean, you highlighted two by four sixteens. They are overvalued, but they're still a good value from a transactional standpoint. I think they're going to continue to maintain some value until enough European 16s get dropped on the dock and they squash it. And I don't know if that's next week, three weeks from now, or the second week in December. Could be the second week in December, just a whisper. Two by four eights, they're way too much. They need to come down. They need to come down. Yeah. Two by four eights are 50 to $75 overvalued. It, two by four, 12s and 14s. 14s, we got a little action yesterday, but tw- I mean, 12s and 14s still look decent on the four inch side. Does that sound 12s right? 12s are dirty cheap and 12 footers are yeah. dirty cheap. Yep. Well, great, guys. I appreciate it. That'll, Kyle, thank you so much for coming really on. I appreciate it. That was some solid information. Thanks. Like I told you, Ashley, we had to get Kyle on, man, because he's I, like, I know. You know. Like, I'm like changing my mind on a few things now. <laughs> like, uh, Kyle, I feel better about a lot of things now. I mean, it's not doom and gloom, Ash. <laughs> I'm just circling. Absolutely. I put that circle yeah. here. I'm gonna like. There's a lot. There's a lot of opportunity out there, which is really, really, really cool. I, I do have just a couple. Que- I, I, can I ask a question in regard to? Uh, sure. Yeah. In, yeah, in go, regard go to the uh, our new uh, mini contract that we now trade, what are your guys' thoughts on yeah. the the current breakdown uh, of uh, you know, open interest in the? Uh, it's doing what it said it would do. We got, we ha- are getting more participation at least, you know, it's not from a weighted average, you know, we're not necessarily selling more transacting more volume in the exchange, but having uh, close to 9,000 today, uh, a lot better than what we've seen in the, you know, the last few years. What are your thoughts in regard to that? I mean, I think in terms of open interest, it's, it's kind of right back to where the average normal had been prior the low level was it dropped down to like 16 or 1700 which which would represent you know 6500 and and, and you got if you got a high level of 2500 would be 10000 i'd love to see it regularly carry a 10 to 12000 open interest because you know given all the things that we did to expand access that's what it should be generating i mean the makeup is uh is interesting and in, in that you know you've got the the majority you know 40 40 of the open interest is funds being short the industry being long 
how do we get more producers to trade it? Is my question. Right? I mean, we adjusted no that, that for any East... producer, but who cares? Who cares? But, I mean, I, <laughs> well, anyone I mean, listening? I mean, and the they, co- you know, if you you can edit this if you want, Ash, but I wouldn't. Who cares, right? You know, people that understand that we are in a volatile business and that risk management should be a part of their business strategy should be trading futures. Everybody. No, I I agree. But from what Kyle's question was, you know, the new contract, we did it to be more inclusive of all the mills, especially Eastern mills, uh, all the hem fur mills now can, can use it. So... I'm wondering at some point, will they use it? I think it's I think it's it's a great contract. I think it's working real well. And Greg, to your point, we use it all the time and it works for us. So well, I don't care about what anybody else does. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Shit. <laughs> but we like it and I, we think you should I, too. Uh, I right? will say that I think, you know, all things considered, we just went from a market that went from in the 1500s down to now really like a 300 mil base, you know, or 500 Chicago. Yep. The fact that we have close to 9,000 open interest in an environment like that, I think is really good. So what does it do when we actually have more volatility? I know that could scare people away, but that's, I, I, I'm, you know, thinking that we could get some, you know, broader participation from that producer side. Cause I have had some questions from not Eastern Canadian mills, but Pacific Northwest mills that are now like considering doing some other things. So, and it's not coming from the sales team. It's coming from like the accounting department from the CFOs of the world and what have you, which is, you know, that's, that's nice to hear And it. And we are getting, you know, transitioning from an older sales and generation to the next guys. And they're trying to say, what are, what are the things that we could possibly do differently than what we, what we've historically done? I think Kyle, uh, a lot. You look at our industry. It's, it's. There's a lot of people in here that are always pessimistic about things. Seems to be the nature of some group of people, and I think a lot of them are waited for the contract to actually be successful and to start trading. Because there was a there was a faction of people out there that didn't think it would survive, right? And it did, and it's doing really well. So now, with that said, now we need more. That that I think alone will bring more people, and I think we're kind of yeah. seeing that yeah. right now. So I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. Hope we can continue to get it more. Uh, to Greg's point, it doesn't really matter where the participation comes from. If people that can identify it as a tool to go and manage their risk, by all means, let's help them get in there and use it. My trading advice today, and you know, don't take this as anything more than you know the grain of salt is. The spread between November and January is held very, very tight in here as as a result of substantial fund rolling, pressuring that. The industry that's long November, this is a really good time if you need to extend that risk management into the first quarter to get it done. Mm -hmm. Because historically, November is something that expires pretty weak. And January typically carries a pretty good premium, particularly when you're on, you know, on low at low level prices. So right. I just want January to get back to that hundred dollar premium it had last year. Where's that hundred? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> sorry, don't have that. <laughs> yeah, they, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, but there is a lot. Obviously, still a lot to roll. What do we have? Five thousand in the front yep. today, and yeah. there's four thousand short in that front, likely on in one. Uh, one area it'll be good yeah that that's a big chunk isn't it i mean that's yeah it's probably down it's probably the funds are probably down at like on three or less because they've been rolling all week mm-hmm. two three hundred yeah. a day so it's good though kyle 
Hey, great to see you. We'll look forward to you seeing too. you in beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio. I'll see you. I'll see you in Columbus, Ohio in a few weeks. Thank you, guys. Yeah, th thank you, Kyle. That that concludes uh, episode number twelve. Kyle Little from Sherwood Lumber, Greg Riley, Sika USA. Appreciate everything. Look forward to uh, to being here next week again. Thank you for continuing to support us and listen.